Amen. Amen. I'm going to do an additional reading this morning because I am cheating. Normally we uh, preach from the Gospels. <clears throat> and it is not that I didn't want to preach this particular Gospel reading. I, th I think it's fantastic. But there was a piece in Colossians that was part of the, of the liturgy, of the lectionary readings this week. And it is probably my most favorite passage in the entire Bible. So I was like, I am preaching the Colossians passage. <laughs> but to not leave us without knowing what the gospel reading for this week, I will be um, reading the, 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 the gospel reading. And again, remember, in terms of the church calendar and in terms of what we're doing, this is the very last sermon of what we call ordinary time. We start Advent um, next, next season. So in many ways, this is also a very finite, very ending type of passage um, that we will read from the Gospel of Luke. And I won't, I won't get into it because I can start preaching it. But remember, Jesus for the last four or five weeks has been going up to Jerusalem, yeah. right? And has been, has been fighting with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and fighting, fighting with Rome. So this is really the culmination of Jesus coming up to Jerusalem and what happens when Jesus stands up to the earthly powers of that time. Luke 22:33 reads, when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right hand and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he, re if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, today you will be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. I think that is just such a beautiful uh, passage. And I, I encourage you to, to read it throughout the week and to meditate on this idea of being with Jesus in paradise and being forgiven. All right. For today's sermon, we're reading Colossians. I will warn you that I probably have two sermons inside of one single sermon, a lot of material. I will try my best not to get overexcited, and if I do, just be compassionate towards me. But I find, honestly, I think if I was to pick one page of the Bible, I know we don't really have physical Bibles anymore, but one kilobyte of the app to keep with me for the rest of my time, this would be it. This is to me one of the most pivotal and beautiful passage of the entire New Testament, the entire Christian Bible. Colossians 1.11 reads, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you, you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our, purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
Christ existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Christ, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Christ made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Christ and for Christ. Christ existed before anything else, and Christ holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all of God's fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. God made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Amen. I, I, I find this passage to be so pivotal for us because I think, if you think of everything that we just read, this is really, I think, one of the, the most beautiful expressions of Christology, which is theological language for the theology of the Christ and who Jesus is, who God is, and what is the purpose of us as a community that called each other Christians, right? Even though it's not there in the, in the phonetic sense, there's Christ inside of Christians, right? So th this whole passage is fully, I think, laying out the pathway for us to understand who we are as we walk together with Christ. And, and this passage starts, if you look at the very first part of the, of the passage, it actually starts very similar to where we left off last week. Remember, what, was the, what, uh, what happened last week? There were the I'm going to put you to, to, to test here. The disciples were looking at something. What were they looking at? Temple. The temple. And then Jesus said to them, what's going to happen to this temple? It's all going to be torn down, right? And then Jesus goes on saying, if you're going to be my follower, you will suffer. Come follow me, right? The message doesn't sell. It does not make for a great bumper sticker. It doesn't make for a good Instagram meme. Like it just, it doesn't sell, but that is God's message of following the Jesus' way. If you're gonna follow me, you will endure suffering and, but it doesn't just end there, right? And not one hair of your head will perish. You will survive. You will survive. That is the message of followership of Jesus. Come follow me, you will suffer, and you will survive. You will endure that suffering. So we find this, this, uh, this passage to actually be really similar in, 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 where, in where it stands right there. Paul says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all of his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Right? Why would Paul be, be asking for and praying for patience and endurance except for the fact that he knew that Jesus' followers would need patience and endurance? And I find it absolutely amazing that Paul is not asking necessarily for deliverance and for all of that pain to go away. And I don't think that Paul doesn't believe that pain shouldn't go away and the suffering shouldn't go away. He does believe that. But his specific prayer here is for endurance and for patience. I don't want patience. That's not, like, that's not what I need. I need liberation right now. I need results right now. 
I struggle to put something in the microwave for 30 seconds because it seems like an eternity, right? <laughs> what, what I want is liberation right now. Something interesting happened to me this week. I was, I already had this, this passage in mind and I was calling, uh, I was making an appointment with, with a new therapist and the therapist asked, um, so how long have you been suffering with mental health uh, issues? And I was like, 20 years? <laughs> I, I don't know, I, I, my whole adult life, right? And then it, it dawned on me, right? That for me at least, and this is the story for a lot of folks that suffer with mental health and not for everyone, but there is not necessarily a point of entire liberation and healing. For a lot of us, it's endurance and patience. There is absolutely cases in which people are healed and great, uh, that is not my story. My story is of endurance and patience and calling the therapist and saying, yeah, 20 years, right? Endurance and patience. And God's promise for us is that we will be strengthened with all of the glorious power and that we will have all the endurance and the patience that we need through wherever it is that we are, whether it be mental health, whether it be financial problems, career issues, other health kinds of issues, God's promise for us is for strength so that we would endure and be patient. I'll tell you, it, the, the message doesn't fully sell, right? So there's a, there's, a, there's a part of this that is like, why would you follow Jesus then, right? And I think, I think Paul is about to get into that with the rest of the passage. And then Paul says, in that you may be filled with joy, always giving thanks to the Father. And I think that's where we struggle as well. And I think that's where we need some of that God supernatural strength. Yes, so that we may endure. Yes, so that we may be patient. But also, yes, so that we might experience joy in the middle of suffering. That is hard. That is really, really hard. And that is certainly a spiritual discipline that we have to practice. That right in the middle of pain and suffering, right in the middle of us being in the storm, that we can stop and give thanks to God the Father and say, give me joy right now. Because I, I am not that. entirely just my problems. Right? We talked about last week, we're not our projects. We're also not our suffering and our problems. Mm. They're a function of who we are, but your struggles with disease, financial, career, marriage, children, whatever it is, that is not who you are. That is a function of what is happening to you right now, right? So we can ask God for joy in the middle of our problems. And then he says that God has enabled us to share in the inheritance. And I think we sometimes lose, lose some of it for two reasons. Why? Because a lot of us haven't received really inheritances. And if we have, maybe they're not that significant. But in this time, as might be the time in other countries right now, when, when, when the, the, the patriarchal figure of the family dies, there are titles that get spread out, there is land that gets spread out, there is honor that gets spread out to all of the people, right? I was just watching the latest season of The Crown and, and the, the monarchy in England. They understand inheritance, right? There is people queued up in line just waiting for that inheritance. You're talking castles. You're, you're talking endowed funds. You're talking horses and dogs and gardens and lords and lordships and princesses. They understand inheritance, I think, in a much more 
um, relatable way to this passage than a lot of us does do because that's just not part, at least it hasn't been part of my experience. Maybe you have received a title in your inheritance and that is awesome for you. Uh, I haven't. Um, God says that he's giving us power so that we may share in the inheritance of what does it mean to be called a child of God, a co-participant of Jesus Christ in the rulership of the kingdom of Christ. And then I love that Paul says he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. There is almost this like, I think of it as like the, the claw machines at the mall, right? The ones that steal all your dollars. They just come down and then grab you and they're rescuing you. That's kind of how I picture in my head that through Christ and God, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and he has put us now in the kingdom of his dear son, Jesus Christ, who purchased our freedom and has forgiven our sins. And then here comes what I think is the most pivotal passage in the entire New Testament. If you look at it, and if you look at, you, yeah, you can't see it on the screen because of the way it is, but if you can see it actually in a Bible, normally there's text that goes, like prose that goes across, but this particular text is actually going to be embedded a lot more like a poem because it is a poem, this is a hymn. This is, this and Philippians 2 are some of the most ancient pieces of scripture that we actually have in the Bible. These probably date around 50, 60, 70 AD, while some of the gospels are actually not until after 70 and 80 AD. These are the closest texts connected to the movement of who Jesus was. And this is what the early church was saying of Jesus a few years after his death and his resurrection. He says, Christ is the invisible image of the, in sorry, the visible image of the invisible God. What they are saying right there is actually heresy in the sound, in the, in the ears of Israelites. The very first com commandment for Israelites is that you will not make images of the invisible God. Up until this point, all we know of this invisible God is that God's name is I am. God's name is in a different language, the verb to be, ser in Spanish or, or similar in French, I am. And that God is present in a burning bush. And that God is light, so radiant that when Moses saw just a little piece of God's presence, God had to cover Moses' countenance. And even so, Moses came down from the mount radiating and glowing with light because Moses had seen a tiny part of who God was, and God is light in a burning bush, and God is, God is the I am. That is all we knew of God up until that point. Mm -hmm. But then Christ is revealed to us, fully incarnated in Jesus Christ, and Christ is now the visible image of the entirety of God. God's infinite self is entirely revealed in Jesus Christ, in the Christ. This is revolutionary. This is, if you stop and you think about it, the God of the universe, the God that created absolutely everything that exists is found in the person of Jesus, in the Christ. And then later on, as we'll learn, us, the body of Christ, we get to be the embodiment of all of God's infinity and power. The text says, he existed before anything was created in Christ is supreme over all creation. 
Throughout the passage, you're going to see time and time again this idea of, of the supremacy of Christ. And I don't think we do a good enough job talking about the supremacy of Christ. Christ rules over every single thing around us. And then the creation and this idea of the created order and that which is matter, that which is tangible, that which you can see. And Christ is supreme over all of those things. And what we're about to see more importantly is that not only is Christ supreme over all of those things, but God is not separated from matter and the earthly things. And I think one of the most dangerous things we've done in the contemporary idea is create this distancing and this separation over that which is quote-unquote secular and that which is quote-unquote spiritual. And what Jesus and what Paul is saying here through Jesus is that Christ is supreme over all things and all things are spiritual. There is no division between the material and the spiritual when it comes to the lordship and the rulership of Christ. Christ created all of those things. Christ is not apart from matter. Christ is not apart from the things that we consider quote-unquote secular. There is no separation between where Christ is and where we find ourselves. The only separation that exists is the one that we create for ourselves. Christ's rulership is cosmic, is universal, is over absolutely every single thing. Through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms, and that's Bible speak for the spiritual realms, and on earth. That immediately reminds me of the passage, and if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a piece where Aslan is singing the creation of the universe. And I love that Lewis had Aslan sing creation into order, right? Obviously very similar to, to, to speaking or the, the word of God, the word of Christ. I think it's actually saying the exact same thing through maybe song, but through the word of Christ, every single thing was created and came into order. Christ made the things that we can see and the things that we cannot see. Things like mercy and love and compassion, Christ created those things. Fear and anger and anguish, Christ created those things. There is no thing, there is no square inch in this entire universe where the presence of Christ and the rulership of Christ is not present. And I know this gets philosophical, but, but if you just go there for a second, this should completely revolutionize the way that we interact with the creative order, with each other, in the thoughts that we have of God. Because so often we continue to have this Greek influence in the way that we think of God as Zeus, a, a God who is removed, a God who is judging, a God who is every once in a while intervening with us, right? And then there's also this Greek Platonic understanding of there are things that are created, but they're like second grade things, but then the bigger things, those are the things that matter the most. There's this, uh, this whole allegory of being in a cave, and the things that we see are actually the shadows of the fire in the cave. But then Plato used to think that, no, this is just what we see, but in reality, there's a bigger reality that, that's called Platonic thinking. We, we're still influenced by these ideas. Mm -hmm. But what Christ is saying is that there is no such thing as first-rate things and second-rate things. It's all together in Christ. 
There is no such thing as shoes being up in a mount, judging, and every once in a while intervening. God is intimately involved in every single centimeter, every single molecule, every single feeling, every single decision, and every single human being. There is no distance. He made things that we can see and things that we cannot see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. I don't even fully understand that piece. But there are powers that we don't fully understand that are often at play in Christ made them. It's, there's no separation there. Everything was created through him. Again, that Aslan idea. And then this is the piece that I just love. And for him. I... I started thinking and meditating a lot on this idea that everything was created for him and through him. And some of you know I have a little garden that, that, that I think about and that I really didn't take too, too, too much care of this summer. Um, and I often think of like the idea of flowers just being so beautiful. And it would almost seem as if for nothing. But they're beautiful for him. All of creation is beautiful for him. All of creation exists to bring worship and glory of this Christ who created everything, who existed before everything was. And then he says, Paul says that Christ holds everything together. Right in the middle of when we think that our life is a mess and completely unraveling and falling apart, Right when we could think that our job is a mess, our country is a mess, our continent is a mess, whatever system you're concerned about is a mess, Christ is holding it all together. Christ is this cosmic glue that holds everything together. And then he says Christ is also the head of the church. Us. This ruler, cosmic God, he's the head of our church. And we are his body. For he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead, and he is first. He is the most honorable. He is the most powerful of absolutely every single thing. And we'll finish here. And through him, sorry, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. I worry that so often we have made issues and problems between God and so many things on this earth when God has already reconciled all things to God's self. Through the presence of Jesus Christ, everything was made by Jesus Christ, everything is made for Jesus Christ, and everything has been reconciled through Him and for God. There is already universal cosmic peace. And in many ways, salvation is more an awakening to see the, the, the universal and cosmic reconciliation than any ideas that we might have of hell or no hell. God's salvation for me and for you is to wake up to the reality that God is everywhere, that God's presence is everywhere, that the Christ's presence is everywhere, and that through Him, through Christ, God has reconciled absolutely everything to God's self. There is no enmity between God and X group of people. Fill in the blank. 
There is no beef between God and that country. God in this idea. God in this position. God, through Christ, has reconciled absolutely everything. And He made peace with everything. In heaven and on earth. By means of Christ's blood on the cross. I wonder... I was writing the sermon and I, was thinking, I had a Lori's voice with the I wonder curriculum. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what it would mean like, it would mean for us to fully internalize this idea of a cosmic, universal Christ that is everywhere, that exists everywhere, that has made, that has made peace with everything and everywhere. There is no place where God's and Christ's rulership is not present. I wonder how that would change your life and my life. I wonder how we would feel about the way that we interact with the material and the immaterial when we understand that Christ is ruling over everything. I sincerely think that there should be no philosophical group of people that is more earthly than Christians. Because when we're working wood, when we're working with mud, when we're creating art, when we're creating music, when we're baking and cooking and serving others, we are doing the work of Christ because there is no separation between the secular and the spiritual. Everything is spiritual. I wonder if we, if what would happen if we start seeing Christ and Christ's presence and rulership in our neighbors, those who are really different than us, those who really annoy us, those who are not kind to us, and that we see that the presence of Christ is also in them. I wonder what would happen when we start seeing that Christ's presence is in our enemies, that Christ's presence is in those who maybe have done damage to us. And that's hard, I, I get that, and you don't have to go there if you don't want to go there, but there is this sense that even those who have hurt you, Christ's presence is in them. It is, it is universal, it is cosmic, it is everywhere. So my hope for us and my challenge to you this week is that me and you, that our eyes would be awakened to the presence, the universal and entirely encapsulating presence of Christ everywhere and in everyone. Christ in Pluto, in Saturn, and in your kitchen, <laughs> right? Christ, when you're at work, making really important decisions, and Christ, when your kids are driving you insane. Christ, when you're just cleaning out your garage, and Christ, when you're sitting next to someone who is grieving and in a lot of pain. There is no difference. Christ is everywhere, ruling over everything, Everything was created for Him. Everything is held together for Him. And in Him, every single thing has been made right and at peace with God. We're at peace with God. May you go forth this week knowing that every cell in you, every molecule in you, every thought of yours is at peace with God because of the work of Christ. God's not fighting with you. God's not saying no to you. God is not judging you and pushing you aside. Through Christ, God has entirely and thoroughly reconciled you to God, God's self.
Would you pray with me? Father, this is such an amazing passage that I'm afraid that it would take a lifetime for us to fully understand it. So my prayer today is not that we would fully understand the message of Paul for us, but that we would just understand a small piece of it in our lives. My prayer for us and for our congregation this morning is that we might be awakening to your universal and cosmic presence in absolutely everything. Tomorrow morning as, as we drive into work, may we know that you're there with us. This afternoon as we're dealing with getting ready to send kids to school in the morning, may we know that you're there with us. When we're thinking about the big issues of life and when we're discouraged reading the news, may we know that you are there with us. May we know that you are there with those who are grieving this morning after the shootings last night in Colorado. May we know that you are present after a lot of the violence that is happening in our country. May we know that in the middle of pain and suffering, you are there. You're holding us together. You're reconciling all things. And that God's cosmic yes to us is a yes of acceptance, of calling us God's own and God's beloved, of recognizing that we are not apart from God, not a single second we've been apart from God. May we, may we be awakened to the reality that we are entirely united in the presence of Christ at every second of our lives. May you fill our hearts with joy this entire week. Not just in the happy moments, but even through the hard moments, knowing that your presence is universal, that your rulership is universal, and that you have made peace with absolutely everything on this earth. May you change our hearts, God, to worship this cosmic Christ who is ruler over everything in this universe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're about to take communion. Chris is going to help us. Do not see, do not think for a second that we do the, the act of taking communion. It's exactly the act of recognizing that Christ is everywhere. <coughs> Christ is in the bread. <coughs> so come take communion and come have a second of understanding and knowing that Christ is everywhere, yes, even in the most ordinary things, and be participants of God's communion with you and the elements that we're taking this morning. Come join us. <laughs>